Well, I never made it out of the country. And uh, we'll explain why in a, in a few minutes, but we're here on a very uh, crucial evening. Um, it's a night when we're gathering together to place our trust in God and offer our prayers to God as a church, as a community, because we all know what's going down. Jesus said there would be rumors of wars as well as wars, and we are transitioning from the rumors tonight to the actual thing. So we need to be praying for our country, for our leaders, for our troops, and we're going to do so as, uh, as the night unfolds. And we thought that since uh, these uh, two guys, Sandy and Kenny, were traveling with me to India and to Germany, we were gonna, I was going to speak and we were going to be playing some worship songs. We thought we'd, since we're not there, we'd bring it to you and do it tonight a little bit here. The chances for Scots uh, to fall in Israel are about 1% out of 100. And uh, the measures that they have uh, requested the Israelis to prepare a room. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, right now, uh, just about two minutes ago on the news, uh, they have mentioned that, that the cabinet uh, finished a meeting in Tel Aviv and they have ordered the Israelis to go one step uh, further and to open the boxes with the gas masks and to try them on. Not to keep them on all the time, but just to try them on to see that everything is fine. Which to me is an indication that there are good chances that in a few hours uh, the big attack uh, will start. Because otherwise they will not... Uh, ask us to do that. At the beginning they said that maybe tomorrow morning they will ask us just uh, to go with uh, the gas masks, but, uh, you know, to carry the boxes. Now, the people are quite different to 12 years ago. Uh, they are not running from the houses. Very few are moving to a lot or to the north, where there are few chances for Scots uh, to fall. At the moment, uh, schools will be open tomorrow. We just finished to celebrate uh, the Book of Esther, the Feast of uh, Purim. Yesterday was a big celebration uh, outside Tel Aviv in the city of Holon. And uh, today was in Jerusalem, so the people are very calm. Most of the Israelis are more concerned about uh, the American uh, soldiers. We will be very thankful if you pray for us, but I would suggest that your people to really have a uh, chain prayer for your soldiers and to pray constantly 24 hours a day for your soldiers. And once in a while, of course, you can remember Israel, but we are very much concerned about your soldiers. And uh, remember that in Genesis 12, says that those who will uh, bless uh, Abraham, they will be blessed. And the United States for many, many years has been blessing Israel. And I believe that uh, God will be with you because he promised that those who will bless Israel will be blessed and, and enriched. And I am sure that uh, God always uh, keeps his uh, promise. And uh, we will continue praying for you. Well, that was Jerusalem. Now we're going to move a little bit north to Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon. Sammy Dagger, he's been here before not too long ago, in fact, and he addressed our fellowship, gave a stirring message. He's 
right in the thick of it and some of you may know when franklin was here i announced that a missionary woman who was working there in the hospital the clinic that sammy dagger runs was shot at point blank range with a nine millimeter bullet and extremist walk up door just shot her in the head as she opened the door and so they have had their fill with um, that kind of violence and so i called him today and um, sammy's going to share with us now we we are fine we we have the peace of the Lord in our hearts, but the situation is very, very dangerous and very tense. The people are afraid uh, because they don't know what's coming. We don't know if we are going to be attacked by our neighbor. We don't know if, uh, uh, you, you know, we don't really know the result of the war, what's going to happen. There is no work for the people and they can hardly live. Today we have we have the ladies' meeting, the normal ladies' meeting, but it was even the mo Mother's Day, so we have a little bit more than usual. And we discovered that so many mothers were brokenhearted because their children are in Kuwait working and providing, you know, bread for and and uh, uh, for their families here to live or they are in Dubai, or they are in Saudi Arabia, and they are all afraid. And uh, we, we truly, uh, we were praying that God will give our leaders here, and even the leaders of the world, the wisdom from heaven above that we can do the will of God. I received a phone today from Brother Farid from Syria. And he said he had a quarter of a million refugees from Iraq in Syria now. He was asking me, he said, can you help? Do you really know someone that can help us here? Because they are all living with families. The government of Syria have not opened the uh, uh, refugee camps yet. And all the people who came, they are living with families. and. The families are poor and they cannot even sustain them. The churches have opened their their places and they, they are really in desperate need. I say, I have phoned uh, Tear Fun England and we are trying to help them in Syria to help the refugees. The believers here in Lebanon, we have truly the peace of God reigning in our hearts. And we are praying for mothers in, in, in Lebanon, it's Mother's Day today, and we were praying for mothers in America that their children are here in our area. And we're praying for mothers in England that their children in our area. And as we prayed for the mothers in Lebanon, which their children are in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and Dubai and all the other countries. When I was talking to Sammy on the phone, and he told me about Farid, a friend he mentioned in Syria, the pastor, who is seeing this influx of 250,000 refugees from Iraq already, and there's not camps, there's not enough facilities, even with the churches who are doing the outreach. I said, Sammy, we'll take up an offering tonight to help the churches in Syria to help the Iraqi refugees, those who are coming over. Uh, 
the Bible says we're to love our enemies, to do good to them. And what a better witness than in the name of Christ, as these churches are going to get funds to be able to give out food and medicine, water, um, housing, uh, temporarily for these refugees, and to, to hear it that it's in the name of their blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, that they love them and they'll care for them. Just like in the Gulf War when we did this, will make a tremendous impact. So I called Franklin and told him about the situation. And I said, Franklin, uh, the money's going to be coming your way so that you can distribute it for us. But uh, we're going to be taking up an offering tonight for the refugees that are coming into Syria so that the churches in the name of the Lord can minister to them. So he was excited about that. And uh, since I had Franklin on the phone, he just got back into the office. Uh, I asked him to give us a word of encouragement and things to pray for as well. So now Franklin's going to speak. As we come to the days and hours ahead of us, there is a lot of uncertainty as uh, this country faces a major conflict in the Middle East. But we have to look at the war of the ages and the, the battle that has been raging uh, since the beginning of time where Satan has been battling uh, Almighty God. And we know that uh, war is uh, his desire. He wants to destroy and uh, he wants to, uh, to ravage this earth. And for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't need to be afraid. What we need to do is put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and let us pray. Let's pray for our president. Let's pray for those that are in leadership over us. Let's pray for our military, especially our men and women in uniform that, that are on the front lines who are putting everything for the defense of this country and the defense of freedom. Uh, they, they are putting it all on the line. We need to pray for them, for God's protection. And we need to pray for the, the people of Iraq. I have been to Baghdad. I have been to that country uh, as well as Skip. He has seen it firsthand, the suffering of these people, and we need to pray that uh, this conflict uh, will come to an end quickly and that uh, there will be a minimal loss of life. And uh, we need to pray again for the president. Uh, he needs God's wisdom, and he needs his strength. Pray for his safety and the safety of all, all people. We're going to do that, and um, let's just have a word of prayer before that. You know, we never take an offering for ourselves. The only time we've ever taken an offering is for somebody else in, in usually some other country or during some crisis. And so here's our chance right off the bat to show our love for uh, those refugees who are caught in between a dictator and outside forces. Heavenly Father, even now, Lord, as we give of the funds you've so blessed this country with, and as this country even traditionally, historically, has given to the relief of suffering around the world, especially your people, Lord, in the development of hospitals and clinics and mercy ministries. We pray, Father, that you would enable these, these fellowships, these pastors and their workers in Syria, who will be very much a part of these refugee camps, Lord, to minister your love, your grace, your compassion, healing through medicine and food in the name of a God of love, not a God of vengeance, not a God of jihad, but a God of love, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you bring healing 
restoration to these people. And use these funds, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask these guys to come up and they're going to pass their little white buckets around. We're going to break up in groups in just a moment, as we often do in times like this. And we're going to pray. And it's an interactive night, so we're all going to be involved. We're all going to have a chance to voice our concern, our hearts, before the Lord. Pour out our hearts, as David did so often, before the Lord. But before we do, I'm going to read to you a section of Scripture in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. Our director of Homeland Security... Tom Ridge said that what the American people are facing gives us one of two options. Number one, we can be fearful. Number two, we can be ready. The best way to be prepared to be ready for come what may is to do what we're doing right here, to gather as God's people, to get our focus on Him, to voice and place our trust in Him. On April 30th, 1863, the President of the United States of America, then Abraham Lincoln, said these words, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace too proud to pray to God, the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now there's a president who spoke of God very plainly, openly, publicly, on record, as one who trusted in God and told the nation to do so. We need to pray for our president now, who also has voiced his trust in God and, above all other things, as this article I have says toward the end, this Newsweek article called Bush and God, that the thing he appreciates more from the American people are their prayers. And uh, some months ago when he was here in town and um, we were able to meet him, uh, my wife said to him, Lenny said, uh, Mr. President, we just want you to know we're praying for you. And he stopped. He was shaking people's hands, and he turned and looked at her and said, that means more to me than anything, that you're praying for me. And so uh, we want to do that. I just wanted to read a little bit if you haven't seen this article. It says, George W. Bush rises ahead of the dawn most days when the loudest sound outside the White House is the dull, distant roar of F-16s patrolling the skies. Even before he brings his wife, Laura, a morning cup of coffee, he goes to a quiet place to read alone. His text isn't 
news summaries or the overnight intelligence dispatches, those are for later downstairs in the Oval Office. It's not recreational reading. Instead, he's told friends, it's a book of evangelical mini-sermons called My Utmost for His Highest. The author is Oswald Chambers. He says, one morning last month, as the United Nations argued in Washingtonians raced to hardware stores for duct tape amid a new orange alert, the daily homily in My Utmost for His Highest was about Isaiah's reminder that God is the author of all life and history. The quotation, Lift up your eyes on high, the prophet of the Old Testament said, and behold who has created these things. After his speech in Nashville, Bush met privately with pastoral social workers and bore witness to his own faith in Jesus Christ. I would not be president today, he said, if I hadn't stopped drinking 17 years ago, and I could only do that with the grace of God. The prospect of war with Iraq was weighing heavily on him, he admitted. Now, every president, the article says, invokes God and asks his blessing. Every president promises, though not always in so many words, to lead according to the moral principles rooted in biblical tradition. The English writer G.K. Chesterton called America a nation with the soul of a church, and every president at times is the pastor in the bully pulpit. But it has taken a war and the prospect of more to highlight a central fact. This president, this presidency, is the most resolutely faith-based in modern times, an enterprise founded, supported, and guided by trust in the temporal and spiritual power of Almighty God. And then the end of the article says, what one thing he appreciates more than anything else are the prayers of us. And he loves it when he knows the people are praying. And the Bible tells us in so many words to do exactly that. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Before we pray, let me give you a little summary of what he is writing about. Paul writes this letter to a young preacher who had a tough mission. Chapter 1, back in verse 3, he said, I left you in Ephesus to set things in order. And Paul is writing sort of as the template of what the church ought to do when the church gets together. The activities of the church, a template for them. And right out of the box in chapter 2, he says, pray. Now, let me just give you a little flow so you understand the power behind this. In chapter 1, Paul speaks of himself about his conversion, how miraculously... He was converted. And it was a miraculous conversion. Listen, 
when Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, became the preacher, when the murderer became the minister. There's a lot of people in the early church that didn't believe it. They said, yeah, right, this is a trick. But to Paul, it is the greatest example of the grace of God. Now look at chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Okay, Here's a saying you can memorize, and everybody should accept it. Listen to it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You get that? In other words, folks, let me just tell you, if God can save me, he can save anyone. And then if you look in verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And he goes on to say the reason for that is God desires, verse 4, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's saying, listen, if God can save me, then we ought to be able to pray for anyone knowing that God can save anyone because I am the ultimate demonstration of God's grace. We have an opportunity tonight. That's how I view it. And I want you to, to notice something here. Paul speaks about praying generally, about praying specifically, and about praying practically. First of all, generally, pray for all men, he says. And notice he mentions four ways to do it. You know, usually we have one way to do it. God, help now. And so often we don't even talk to God unless our backs up against the wall. Many people pray that way. It's an emergency room. But notice, I exhort or I encourage, first of all, or as a matter of priority, that four things, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Very similar to what Paul wrote in Philippians when he said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Those four are mentioned again. Supplication are strong crying. Supplications are for times like this. We're at war. We don't know what's happening even right now while we're here. We're some of us wishing, I wish I could watch news. I, I know it's good to be here. I know we're reading the Bible, but Skip, could you hurry up? I want to hear the bad news. And so we're here in supplication, strong crying. Have you noticed that at times of personal or national difficulty, our prayers are like turbocharged prayers? You know, up to that point, we might go, And Lord, we pray and beseech thee, Heavenly Father. And then, when things are really bad, it's totally different, right? It's like anointed all of a sudden. Nothing wrong with that. That's okay. That's good. David did it. He poured his heart out before the Lord. Second on Paul's list are prayers. This is sort of a general word, prosuke, but it has always within it the idea of devotion. Not demanding, but devotion, worship, adoration, praise. The Lord wants us to ask him very specifically things. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. So we're told to ask. Nothing wrong with asking. But there's an order, I believe. We should bow before we ask. 
We shouldn't just barge into a throne room and go, Hey, king, I have a request. You'd never do that in ancient times before a monarch. You wouldn't do it today before a monarch. There's protocol. And I think there's biblical protocol to pause and to think about who you're talking to. Because don't you find we come to God so often overwhelmed with our problems? And so it's good to pause, worship Him, submit to Him and surrender, thereby realizing who it is we're talking to, so that when we bring the request to Him, it's like, hey, I'm talking to God. This is like so easy for you to handle. That's a pattern, by the way, the early church followed. Acts chapter 4. They were being persecuted in the city of Jerusalem, told not to speak anymore, threatened, even to the point of death. So they got together, Acts chapter 4. And this is how they began praying. They lifted up their voices and said, Lord, you are God. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. And you spoke by the mouth of your servant David how the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing. The kings have gathered themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. And behold, Lord, their threatenings. And give us boldness and courage. They made their requests, but they made their requests after they realized to whom they were speaking. And they rendered in praise, worship, prayer, devotion. And I submit to you that your prayers will come out a lot more confidently when you realize you're not speaking to some little wimp somewhere. You're speaking to Almighty God who can do anything. Nothing's too hard for him. Nothing's impossible to him. Third on the list, there's supplications, there's prayers, there's intercessions. That's praying for people. And tonight we're going to pray for those in office locally, nationally, internationally, the people overseas who are suffering, leaders who will be dispensing medicine, etc., our troops. We're going to be talking to God about people. Sometimes people ask me, well, why do we even need to pray if God already knows in advance? Are we like informing God? No, you're not. But you know, any parent loves the dependence of their children. They love it when they're, no matter how old they are, have some form of dependence upon them. The Lord, your God, loves it when you as his child show your dependence. Not your independence, not, I can do this on my own. But Lord, I can do this on my own. I depend on you. And we intercede on behalf of people showing God our dependence. And then finally, and giving of thanks. Be made for all men. I think some of us lack peace because we fail to give thanks. We fail to pause. Okay, there's a crisis going on. But so often we fail to realize, look what God has done already. Look what God has graciously provided already. The psalmist said, bless the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Thanksgiving is so often lacking from many Christians in general and specifically when it comes to prayer. But then he gets more specific. He goes from prayer generally to prayer specifically. For kings, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 
this text is even more powerful when we realize that the one in power in Rome at the time Paul was writing this was none other than the despot, the wicked Caesar Nero, who was torturing people, burning Christians at the stake, feeding them to lions. And here's Paul, a Jewish rabbi turned believer, Roman citizen, says, pray for all men, but specifically, not generally, specifically for kings, leaders, all those who are in authority. He tells you why. Because when you pray for those in authority, the result, and that's what we pray toward, is favorable conditions. Notice that we may leave a, lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and all reverence. But notice he says, For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what I mean by an opportunity. This difficulty, this tragedy, this demonstration of fallen humanity, a war. We'll talk more about War Sunday. It's an opportunity for the gospel to go out. I've been to Baghdad. In fact, you may not know this, but you own some property in Baghdad. Did you know that? That's right. We raised money and bought property in Baghdad and built a church there. And there's a Christian assembly that has been meeting there, and we pray for them regularly. And there are many of God's people who are there. And we're going to pray that God is going to use this tragedy as we reach out in the name of the Lord in the next weeks and months and years in that area as an opportunity because God loves not just Americans. He loves Iraqis. He loves Saddam Hussein. Jesus Christ died for Saddam Hussein. And tonight, before his fate is too doomed or sealed, he could turn to Christ. You say, oh, come on, that's a pipe dream, that's impossible. Paul would say, wait a minute, I'm back here still, remember me? I was the guy they thought would never get saved. I was the guy who hated Christians and was determined to stamp them out from the face of Jerusalem and the early Christian world. We're approaching God tonight. We're talking to God. We're going to be praying generally, specifically, but practically that God is going to use this. We're going to break up in groups. You've been given a sheet of paper. There's going to be bullets up on the screens to pray for. As the Lord leads in your group, speak out. Don't be a prayer hog. You know, you don't have to impress people. Watch this. Here's a good one. Just share, share your heart before God. This is now the business. This is now the work of intercession and supplication and thanksgiving and prayer. So let's get to it for the next uh, several minutes. And those who are listening by radio, somebody in that station is going to be leading you in prayer so that we can get as many people across this state praying right now as possible. So just go ahead, turn around, break up in small groups, and let's pray for some of these things. At this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war.
These are opening stages of what will be a broad and concerted campaign. More than 35 countries are giving crucial support, from the use of naval and air bases, to help with intelligence and logistics, to the deployment of combat units. Every nation in this coalition has chosen to bear the duty and share the honor of serving in our common defense. To all the men and women of the United States Armed Forces now in the Middle East, the peace of a troubled world and the hopes of an oppressed people now depend on you. That trust is well placed. The enemies you confront will come to know your skill and bravery. The people you liberate will witness the honorable and decent spirit of the American military. In this conflict, America faces an enemy who has no regard for conventions of war or rules of morality. Saddam Hussein has placed Iraqi troops and equipment in civilian areas, attempting to use innocent men, women, and children as shields for his own military, a final atrocity against his people. I want Americans and all the world to know that coalition forces will make every effort to spare innocent civilians from harm. A campaign on the harsh terrain of a nation as large as California could be longer and more difficult than some predict. And helping Iraqis achieve a united, stable, and free country will require our sustained commitment. We come to Iraq with respect for its citizens, for their great civilization, and for the religious faiths they practice. We have no ambition in Iraq except to remove a threat and restore control of that country to its own people. I know that the families of our military are praying that all those who serve will return safely and soon. Millions of Americans are praying with you for the safety of your loved ones and for the protection of the innocent. For your sacrifice, you have the gratitude and respect of the American people. And you can know that our forces will be coming home as soon as their work is done. Our nation enters this conflict reluctantly, yet our purpose is sure. The people of the United States and our friends and allies will not live at the mercy of an outlaw regime that threatens the peace with weapons of mass murder. We will meet that threat now with our Army, Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, and Marines so that we do not have to meet it later with armies of firefighters and police and doctors on the streets of our cities. Now that conflict has come, the only way to limit its duration is to apply decisive force. And I assure you, this will not be a campaign of half measures, and we will accept no outcome but victory. My fellow citizens, the dangers to our country and the world will be overcome. We will pass through this time of peril and carry on the work of peace. We will defend our freedom. We will bring freedom to others. And we will prevail. May God bless our country and all who defend her. President Bush live from the Oval Office with words that to defend the world from grave Uh, could you cut the sound here, please? Thank you. Could you stand?
I'm going to ask you to take this that was passed out to take it home with you, uh, to keep this uh, in your Bible, to pray for these concerns, and um, let's just have a, a final word of prayer uh, together before we leave, and, um, and then go in God's peace. Heavenly Father, as we have already prayed, and so, so many hundreds around this room have prayed so many things, what amazes us is that you from heaven heard each one individually and all those prayers that are going on even now we commit father this time especially these fine young men and women who are in another part of the world doing this grim duty protect them go before them may this be quick lord may that part of the world lord be delivered to a free reign and a free regime. And Lord, although we know that the president must say that and, and certainly maintain the posture as a politician and as the leader of the free world not to have an agenda, Lord, we as your people, we live with an agenda. We always have an agenda because your agenda is that no one would perish but that all would come to eternal life. So we pray, Lord, that we, your people, would, would pass on the truth and hold the banner high of life through Jesus Christ wherever we go. Lord, we pray for those Christian workers who are in that part of the world, Lord. Strengthen them and give them boldness to show your love at a very difficult time. Continue to give our president wisdom, Lord, and those around him the advisors, may the information be clear and concise that he must act upon and that others must act upon. We pray, Father, for the mothers, the fathers, the brothers and sisters of those troops, Lord, who are overseas, who are with us even tonight. Comfort them, Lord. Be a strong tower and refuge for them. And Lord, use us tonight even here among them to give them strength and comfort to help them out where we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's peace. God bless you.